0: Welcome to Why We Wrote This. I'm this week's host, Clay Collins. It's an extraordinary time in terms of unrest, bold protests in China, an uprising for women's rights in Iran, and even some so far limited outcry in Russia over its war in Ukraine. Peter Ford, The Monitor's Paris-based international news editor, has also written from just about everywhere, from Asia to Europe, from the Middle East to Latin America. He joins us today. Welcome,
1: Peter. Welcome, Peter. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Those three countries I mentioned, all known for keeping the lid on pretty tight, all seem to have gone off more or less at once to different degrees and with different drivers. You've said that this was mostly coincidental. What's the same or different about these movements, and might any of them bring lasting change?
1: Well, could any of them be lasting movements? I think they could be. Um, And and to be honest, even if they're short-lived, they could at least be signs of things to come. I mean, it's not as if these authoritarian governments are playing whack-a-mole, but it's still true that when people dare to do something that they haven't done before, like stand up to repression, um, they might develop a taste for it, and they might develop the courage that it takes. And who knows where where that might lead. In China, there have been demonstrations in nearly 20 cities, sparked by frustrations over three years of draconian COVID-related lockdowns. Um, I mean, that's absolutely unheard of in recent Chinese history, nothing like it since Tiananmen in 1989. And the demonstrations did seem to help change the government's mind. They've relaxed their policy now. Uh, That is highly unexpected. In Iran, uh, massive nationwide demonstrations began as protests against uh, hijab rules, the rules on women's veils, but they've broadened now to include far more social and, and economic demands. But the Iranian government's reaction has been harsh repression. I mean, they are executing demonstrators now. And in Russia, we know that President Putin's war in Ukraine is unpopular from from opinion polls, but um, there's little in the way of outright opposition on the streets because people, frankly, are cowed by the very strict laws that punish dissidents. And there's no sign that Mr. Putin is, is changing direction there. Because
0: we're talking about Russia, I just want to shift briefly to Ukraine itself and the situation there. Can you talk about the Monitor's approach to reporting from inside Ukraine? I think we've had five different,
1: very experienced writers so far cycling through. Well, yes, obviously Ukraine has, has, has dominated my year. Um, our approach to, to covering it is A, to be there as often as we can, and in as many different places as we can while keeping our correspondents safe. But also to look for the, the unexpected, look for the human. Because to be honest, it's uh, you, you can write about the the geopolitics in Washington, you can write about the aid that the West is giving Ukraine. But I think what readers are more interested in is how individual Ukrainians are living this experience, um, which is A difficult one to imagine and I think we can do a good job of bringing it home to readers of our paper.
0: The humanization is obviously, as you say, a really good way in to these stories, but um, reporting broadly speaking also includes looking a lot at historical context and breadth. Can you talk about that a little?
1: Yes, I mean clearly um, a big part of the monitor's job is to put current events into context that makes them more comprehensible and also shows ways in which those current events are not necessarily leading in the gloomy direction that uh, might appear. I mean, when we look at a story like, for example, the Middle East, we're we're always looking for the geopolitical background, the geopolitical history. We ran a story recently about how China has suddenly popped up in the Gulf as a challenger to the United States Mm -hmm. as a leading superpower actor. Now, that is a major geopolitical shift. On a smaller scale... Uh, there was that alleged plot in Germany the other day to trying to overthrow the government. Uh, the police didn't just report what happened, which is basically what everybody did. And there was our correspondent there. She went into the way in which the German government can do all kinds of things to surveil political parties. Um, obviously, the country's Nazi past and and the Germany's desire to avert any sort of repetition of that it allows the government to do all kinds of things that would be quite unthinkable in the united states as violations of uh, of, of individual rights
0: that alleged german coup attempt was a huge story to americans obviously partly because it resonated with uh, january 6 here but what about story choice and going places people are paying a lot less attention to
1: it's something that we really like to do when we can um, i mean recently Um, our correspondent Scott Peterson went to Somalia which is uh, generally and still is in fact a very dangerous place to go but it's somewhere that he has been many many times uh, back since the early 1990s when it was in the news and the marines were there and Black Hawk Down and the rest of it Mm -hmm. Uh, Scott has has a particularly close relationship with Somalia and he was very anxious to go so he took all the necessary security precautions uh, like armoured cars wherever he went and he was able to get close to the story which is, I think, coming up on us now, but not many people are paying a lot of attention to it, which is another huge famine in Somalia. And he used his, uh, his knowledge of the country and the, his coverage, frankly, of earlier famines to write of stories that you wouldn't see anywhere else, to be honest.
0: Famine is certainly one of those tough international stories that just seems so cyclical I mean, it's, and so protracted. You think about the Horn of Africa and the Middle East in those terms. How do you encourage reporting that transmits a credible sense of hope?
1: Well, hope obviously is fundamental to everything that we do at The Monitor, but credibility is key as well. I mean, we're not selling fairy tales. When Scott was in Somalia uh, reporting on the famine, he also because of his knowledge of the country, was able to get a very insightful story about the way in which the clans, which have dominated Somalian politics for the last 30 years or so, are being encouraged to drop their Mm. internal differences and fight together against the Al-Qaeda branch, the Al-Shabaab, who have been making life impossible for Somalis for, for about the last 15 or 20 years, and who are the ones who make it such a dangerous place to be that was a story with limited but credible hope that people could organize themselves to make their lives better and get rid of the Al-Qaeda. But as I was saying, credible hope is our business. It's what the Monitor is all about. Whether we're reporting from Somalia or from Ukraine or from China, from Latin America, there is always somebody who is looking for a sensible solution and who is showing and believing in hope. And those are the people that we like to report about. Thank you, Peter. And thanks for shepherding such an important part of the Monitor. I enjoy every moment of it.
0: Thanks for listening. To find a transcript in our show notes with links to some of the stories discussed here, go to csmonitor.com slash why we wrote this. This episode was hosted by me, Clay Collins, and produced by Samantha Liney Purfus. Tim Malone and Alyssa Britton were our sound engineers with original music by Noel Flatt. Produced by the Christian Science Monitor. Copyright 2022.